This is a report on an effort that I've called Plain Spoken. It's a podcast, it's a video, and now it's also a Substack page. And I've actually typed everything out that I'm going to say in this segment. And if you're interested in looking at a lot of the graphics and links, I'm going to overlay what I can in the video, but um, I, I link to a number of other articles and websites. And so if you haven't already, go on over to plainspokenpod.substack.com. I'll have a link in the show notes wherever you're listening to or watching this, and that's where you can see the text and have full access to all the stuff that I show in this time. It's not meant as uh, a humble brag or um, an appeal for funds akin to all the emails that have been clogging up our inboxes. It's already past the first of the year, and my understanding is, you know, uh, start off with a new slate. It is my hope that this is a ministry that people will feel passionate about supporting in the future for reasons that I'm going to detail here, but really the the purpose of this is just for transparency's sake. It's a virtue or a value that I've been extolling from the beginning of this project, and I think it'd be weird if I myself wasn't practicing transparency in what I'm doing. So sit back, relax, enjoy this synopsis of a year's worth of work around this Plain Spoken project, and if you've been a part of it, then pat yourself on the back because, to my mind, it's been successful. So Plain Spoken, here's what the written part is going to say. Plain Spoken began at the end of 2022 as an effort on my part with the help of a friend and church employee, T.J. Owens, many of you have seen him, to participate in the larger discourse on Methodism in the midst of the dysfunction and the fallout within the United Methodist Church. So having read Good News Magazine and Institute for Religion and Democracy for several years, I came to understand that the worldview and the particulars of what those parties published, among others, like, uh, I don't know, LifeSite, were not known to many. Even the topics circulated by UM News, which is the mainline denominational source in their regular weekly digest were largely unknown to most United Methodist clergy on the Facebook groups that I was a part of. The result was that individuals, especially clergy, were tribal and petty. They were not informed. They just fell along party lines. And I wanted to do something about that, trying to facilitate a mutual understanding, um, well, not a mutual understanding, but mutual understanding between a conservative traditional worldview and those who don't necessarily hold it, or those who do hold it but couldn't explicate it. So in the midst of what has now been called the largest denominational split since the Civil War, it was hard for churches to know what information they could trust and how much truth there was to allegations from any given source. Our own churches here in northeastern Oklahoma, where I'm at, were not entirely sure about what was happening and what it had to do with them, what had led had led to where we were and and how to make an educated decision. Plain Spoken was formed partly to just simply facilitate a space in which information can be shared and made sense of. So I've done not just information sharing, but a lot of analysis in the last year. So with respect to the product thus far, um, I struggled to find the right content for my format. It was a struggle for the first few months. I very much enjoy a format. Uh, If any of you watch uh, Breaking Points or The Hill, they do news commentary on YouTube, really fantastic stuff. So I emulated them for a time, but I didn't get a lot of engagement. I also began a series of international interviews with African United Methodists, which I'm still proud of, though it didn't get the engagement I wanted it to. 
And then on January 16th and 17th of 2023, I published two pieces on North Georgia Annual Conference and Arkansas Annual Conference, detailing institutional misbehavior on their part around blocking disaffiliations. And from that moment on, the channel began a steady climb. That got attention. So if you read my article or you're watching this on video, you'll see the thumbnails for those videos if you want to go back in time and, and see my starting work. As of writing this article, I have now created about 200 pieces of content that you can still find online. Much of this has been analysis on differing topics pertaining to developments and trends in the United Methodist Church, churches that were closed against their will, properties and assets that were seized, dishonest and manipulative statements made by bishops and denominational officials, bad faith studies published and circulated by consultation agencies, stats on disaffiliations, other similar topics. You know, big, big picture stuff. I've also done very small, granular stuff. I've uh, facilitated many filmed conversations with representatives of all kinds, professors, pastors, caucus leaders, lawyers, activists, even my own bishop, uh, Scott Jones, came into the, uh, the studio here and sat down with me. So I've been real spread out. I've covered a, a lot of stuff. I've learned a lot. I have grown in a number of areas, but the most challenging has probably been in the legal area. I'm just not a legal mind. I've spoken with so many lawyers on camera and off. I even participated in the proceedings of First United Methodist Oklahoma City when they filed against my former annual conference. And I later covered their uh, proceedings in our Supreme Court on a live stream, so I've got links to all that as you go to that article. Church law also presented some real challenges. So there was there was worldly law around the church, but then there's church law itself. So the trial of uh, Bishop Minerva Carcano transpired over the course of a few days, and I gave analysis at the end of each day. Folks close to the situation followed up with me privately just to tell me that my accurate my my analysis was actually kind of accurate, and and I did a decent job. Again, this is not meant as a humble brag. Um, it's meant to rejoice in just how wonderful it is that someone can do this, that I can do this. Uh, it's, it's been a wonderful project. So right now, TJ and I are more than halfway through a series on the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline of the Global Methodist Church, and it's my understanding this has helped hundreds of people work their way through our new covenant document. I can see how many people are viewing it. I get regular feedback and critique. I, I feel good about this project. On Fridays at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, I have learned to do it. A, 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 I've done a somewhat functional live stream. The internet connectivity has been a real issue. Uh, there's an average attendance of around 40 people on the live stream during which people write to me and one another. I present on smaller topics. I engage in whoever's there. Sometimes it's a kind of a news report. Other times it's just us talking. It's really been a nice thing. The most demanding work has been uh, irregular reporting I've done on developments in individual United Methodist annual conferences in which many of the large trends and realities seen throughout the country are seen dynamically in smaller form. I've had correspondences with hundreds of people across our nation and world in order to be able to speak accurately and adequately about realities on the ground uh, in all kinds of places. Finally, I've also done a good deal of material dealing with the Global Methodist Church. It's signs of promise, but also things to be concerned about as a new body is formed. Mine has been one of a few voices facilitating an ongoing conversation 
with many thought leaders about what the eth- essence of Methodism is, which this conversation is only just beginning, really. I've really enjoyed it so far. I've had good conversations with Matt Sickle and Matt O'Reilly and David Watson. Uh, I'll be talking with uh, uh, Ryan Danker soon. All of these conversations are very exciting to me, and I hope they're a benefit to the church as a whole. So if if you're watching this for the first time, you don't know all the places that Plain Spoken can be found. I've, I've spread out. My primary platform is YouTube, where I get the most views and engagement. I recently reached 3,000 subscribers there, which is a big deal for me. I also publish on Facebook, where I recently cleared 1,000 followers, and Rumble, where I have five people following me, and a number of other podcasting platforms. I'm on Apple Podcasts, but also Spotify, Amazon, Google. I've set up a Locals account. It's been established for people to monetarily support Plain Spoken, so of course I'm going to have a link there if you go to the article. It receives special treatment from time to time, and most recently I've started a Substack, hopefully where you're reading this as well, where I've uh, written a few articles already. I'm going to publish a lot more. It also serves to circulate the audio and the video versions of my segments. So Substack is where you're going to be able to go to see everything I create other than the special content I make for locals. So just reporting on this ministry after a year. So an RSS feed is how you send out uh, a podcast, and I have two RSS feeds. One is Red Circle and the other Substack, and they tell me that my podcasts have gotten almost 21,000 downloads this last year, which I feel good about, um, according to... um, I only recently started the Substack, so Red Circle says that I've got an average weekly download of 168. Um, That, of course, changes widely based on what the content is. I, I hope this continues to go up alongside others. YouTube, uh, the platform in which I've seen the most success, reports that in the last year, Plain Spoken has been watched by thousands of people, coming close to 96,000 hours of watch time. It would be very dishonest of me to attribute all of this growth and engagement to my own efforts. Chris Ritter of People Need Jesus has been great to promote my material alongside hundreds of other resources he lists on a monthly basis on his website, peopleneedjesus.net. He is the single most helpful resource for all developments in the realms of Methodism that I concern myself with. So if you're watching the video or if uh, you go to the Substack, you will see uh, screen grabs of my statistical reports here. So um, just for people who are interested in doing this kind of work yourself, what kind of engagement you might be able to see uh, in a year. Facebook tells me that in the last year, Plain Spoken has had a reach of almost 124,000 people on their platform. This platform has been more challenging for me and TJ to work with for some reason. Uh, The local churches I serve have had an easier time getting people to follow them on Facebook than Plain Spoken. I do not know why. But thanks to the promotion I've gotten from Edward Armel of Omnia Methodist and many other normal folks, it has seen good circulation and engagement, most of which I cannot see, uh, but I'm, I'm glad that Facebook reports it, so... Um, it, it does note, and I'm going to talk about losses along the way, even though I've got 912 new followers in the last year, I've had 32 unfollowers as well, which is, I think, kind of high. So one might notice a relatively high number of people who've chosen to unfollow me, and that proportion, I think, has been even higher on YouTube, where I have sometimes lost up to 10 subscribers on any given day. And while there's been a good deal of support for the project, there have also been many people who've decided they're not fans of what I'm doing on Plain Spoken. 
The vast majority of those who have left have left quietly. A few have spoken politely beforehand, and, and a lot not so politely. A number of progressives and institutionalists followed me on the front end because I seemed reasonable for a bit. And over time, a few have highlighted what they perceive to be partisan bigotry on my part. That's not something I've strived toward. Uh, I still can't explain why it was that so many people thought I was reasonable at the beginning, and a few stopped seeing that. Some of them held on, uh, a few left, but a lot of them have held on and continue to consider my words even if they disagree with them. A number of conservatives have also gotten angry with me at times, either for not covering stories they think I should cover or for belaying, belaboring articles and arguments more than they think I should, or for failing to advance or defend some picadillo they have, some doctrine or, or item that practice that they think is really important. I've learned that satisfying folks like this is not possible, so I've actually had to block a lot of people. I've had to ask a number of people to just go somewhere else and do something else. You know, I don't force anyone to listen to or, or watch my stuff. There are also just a lot of persnickety in the world who like to nitpick how I do things. And one of the most popular criticisms that I should acknowledge, acknowledge here is that uh, I, I, the interviews I do are not really interviews, they're more conversations. So a lot of people have said, you talk too much. And uh, my response is always, I like how much I talk. I feel good about my work. But uh, to meet them halfway, I've stopped calling them interviews. I call them conversations now. So people complain a little bit less than they used to about that. So for those who are interested, you know, I get the critique somewhat regularly. I'm just talking to a bunch of malcontents on the grassroots level. Nobody of any substance is really listening to me. It doesn't really have any big impact. So there, there are ways that one can kind of assess if I am being very influential or helpful in the conversation. So traditionally... American Methodists have had journalistic publications like UM Reporter and UM News to keep them informed on developments. And as I said above, I've noticed widespread ignorance of regular articles published by United Methodist News. I don't think many people read them. Conservative caucus groups like Good News started publications in print that also meet a high editorial standard. And I can't speak to how many read their articles in print media, but... Um, I get the impression that that print media in general is being read less and less even by intelligent people. So, and it's not that they're not doing a good job. Good news, UM Action, they're, they're good about writing stuff. They're, they're good about putting it online alongside other media outlets like Mainstream UMC and Hacking Christianity. Um, they have big readerships, I'm sure, but I have no idea how widely read their stuff is. Like, I know there are a lot of people who support them in theory, but I don't know how much people are really consulting them and considering what they have to say. So sometimes one of them strikes a nerve and their article is reposted across media, but even then it's hard to say how many people actually read the whole article versus the headline. So I noticed widespread ignorance when Methodists have been getting together to talk really ever since I became clergy 11 years ago. So that indicates to me that United Methodist clergy, Methodist clergy laity are not really reading that much. I'm just not sure how much the print format is the way to reach a large number of Methodists at this point in time. I think the medium is, is just not reaching the people at this point. People aren't reading. Podcast metrics, it's hard for me to, you know, I, when we're looking at how many people are reading, plain spoken, uh, plain spoken just got off the ground, so I can't compare my readership to others, I'm sure it's much lower. When we're looking at podcasts, 
uh, I can only look at my own metrics. I can't look at other people's podcast metrics. So I reached out to a couple of other well-known Methodist pastors with podcasts to compare their stats, and Plain Spoken's total number of downloads was higher than theirs by about 20%. So that's decent. We're talking big megachurch pastors. The only publicly available stats on engagement that I, I can see on uh, comparing what other people are doing is on Facebook and YouTube. So Facebook isn't really used for thoughtful reading. Hardly anyone does that on there, and it's usually not used for watching long-form content, although some people do. But even so, one can easily see the views on any pace of content that I've put out. YouTube is much easier um, to navigate and compare. So what both YouTube and Facebook show is that while Plain Spoken has fewer subscribers and followers than a few other Methodist content makers, it has far more views and engagement than any other Methodist source that I could find. There are some other great people doing great work. I would highlight uh, Andy Miller III of More to the Story, Matt O'Reilly of Theology Project. Um, I, I, I think uh, Method Ministries is doing very good work alongside mine. Um, but it's only plain spoken that really gets routinely gets over a thousand views on any content, other than you know the boring uh, transitional book of doctrines and disciplines series that I'm doing that I love, but not a lot of people are on board for. Plain spoken interviews and conversations are watched and engaged with much more widely than any other Methodist um, source that I've seen, with just a couple exceptions. Even Methodist megachurches with multi-million dollar setups and professional staffs are not generating content with the amount of content engagement that I'm getting online. So Plain Spoken outperforms the largest United Methodist and Global Methodist local churches and pastors for reach on these platforms. So that's that's not, I'm going to say it again, it sounds like I'm bragging. I, I think that there is, you know, there are a lot of people who, if you said, I just want to do interviews with thoughtful people and I want to report on different regions in the U.S. and the fallout around disaffiliations, some people would say, yeah, I think that could work out. A lot of people would say, I don't think it's feasible. Uh, Methodists are not internet people. Uh, I'll tell you, the biggest demographic that watches me is older men. Um, so there's there's clearly a market there. People are clearly interested. Um, even though I'm, I'm a very limited and fa uh, flawed person, my foibles are not enough to, to stand in the way of a project that needed to happen. So I'm going to talk about why I'm feeling good about the work thus far. The growth and engagement seen here, it's been entirely organic. I haven't paid for any circulation. I haven't paid anyone to talk to me. I haven't paid anything. I've gotten no institutional support from the Global Methodist Church or the Wesleyan Covenant Association or any caucus or special interest group. The intricacies of quality audio and video production, bandwidth management, information storage and management, filing and record keeping, social media engagement and curation, and fundraising. It's all been new to me. TJ and I together have painstakingly learned thousands of lessons, small and large, along the way, which has led to what I feel is today a pretty smooth operation of content generation and circulation. And while I've made many mistakes along the way, people I've been surprised to find have been quite gracious and understanding, generally speaking. The standard of what Plain Spoken produces is generally above the quality of what people are used to. And so with prolonged engagement, if I keep doing this for several years, I think it can only get bigger and better. I want to talk about money now and um, why it matters. First off, a lot of people, you know, the, I was talking with Paul Thompson one time, he said, he says, a lot of people think it's really screwy that 
you have advertisements you're making money off of this and that that conveys that uh well it just makes people suspicious so let me talk about that a little bit this plain spoken is in many senses a ministry of the no water methodist church which is my full-time employer the hundreds of hours of work that have gone into this project would have otherwise gone to local ministry and engagement church leadership here in Nowata, benevolently shared their pastor with the rest of the Methodist Connection in hopes that I might facilitate, help facilitate mutual blessings. And I believe those hopes have been answered. I, I, the reason I, I get, I get emails all the time from people who say, oh, we've, we've loved your work. Here's the difference it's made in our local church. Here's what it's meant to me. None of that would have happened if the church hadn't given me their blessing to start this. But even so, in order to justify any given ministry, fruits have to be observable. So you can't just, I can't point to a number of how many local churches that needed to talk about disaffiliation benefited from what I'm doing. I can't talk about how many individual believers have grown in their faith and knowledge because of plain spoken. One of the only ways that you can discern how meaningful a ministry has been to other people is how much they or companies hosting the conversation are willing to pay to make it happen. Moreover, when a church volunteers physical space for a local project, you know, like this is all online, but if, if, if you have a church and it's just saying, hey, there's a local group, they can come in and use our space, it is right for them to expect that the beneficiary of such benevolence will do what they can to repay the kindness shown. So if, if a 12-step group meets in your building, it's right to expect that they take up an offering to give to the church to say thank you for the space. So I've probably given half of my professional time in the last year to the Plain Spoken Project, probably more. So when considering my salary package, half of that would be about $25,000 annually. Is that coming back to the church? When looking to simply offset the cost of TJ's employment by the church, that would be about $12,000 annually. So that's, that's a total of $32,000 that the church is effectively paying to help this ministry happen. Is that being recouped or even close to that? When I first began this project, I was not monetized on YouTube. I had no locals account. There was no other revenue for the project. The church had some basic gear that I was able to use, and I had TJ for a few hours each week. I was turned off to the idea of making money from ads. I still don't like it. A few months into the work, my friend Absalom in Nigeria needed emergency funds for his church in Abuja. I was glad to put together a segment reporting on his church's situation, and because of that segment, Plainspoken was able to raise almost $2,200 towards helping them construct a new permanent structure on top of local funds that, that I was able to raise. So that, that was pretty cool. And after things started taking off on the podcast, I monetized on YouTube for a time just to see what kind of revenue it could generate. On a good month, we topped off over uh, $200. A couple folks complained about the ads. I decided to open a locals account in order to let the more financially able among my audience step up and show their support. Unfortunately, not as many did as I had hoped. So now I have a solid crew of a little over 20 supporters on there. Combined in the, the first few months that Local's been in place, uh, they've contributed $720, which is not nothing. But the thing is, you know, they've made a difference, but they're not enough to supply what's needed in the short term to, to prove that this is a fruitful ministry. So I finally re-monetized on YouTube a few weeks ago. I haven't heard any complaints yet, but I'm a little sad about it. My hope is to continue building up locals 
so that YouTube is is not needed. Uh, and so, you know, I'll, I'll give a link here in a little bit, but you can also just go directly to the church's website and make a one-time donation or regular donations on there, and that's tax deductible, so I should probably push that more. None of the money that's been made so far has gone into my pocket. I'm, I'm not going to be ever putting any money into my pocket from this. The Christian convictions of my wife and I, are, are the Rickman family, is that we should not live in opulence as a family. We don't want fancy things. We don't go expensive places. We like to stay at home, raise our kids and our chickens. We like to minister to the people around us. We homeschool. We cook good, locally produced, healthy food. We play and sing good music. We enjoy being together. We drive older vehicles. We don't have large medical expenses. And we're able to save a lot of money. So any changes in income really aren't needed. And if we do have any, it's going to come from the churches we serve. It's not going to come from this ministry. And that's not to say that income from plain spoken has gone directly into the general fund of the church to just be spent on whatever. Rather, we've established a line item in the directed fund to um, track money pertaining to this fund. And believe it or not, um, the total amount taken in from various sources in 2023 has been a little over $2,600. And of that, all of it has gone to offset the cost of lights, cameras, routers, a modem, cables, adapters, and expenses for a Zoom and Restream on a monthly basis. So despite what has been brought in, the church is actually operating at a loss here. And my hope is that this next year that'll change. The total made um, from YouTube, I already talked about total altogether is over $2,600. From YouTube, just the ads, it's uh, a little over $1,300. So, so far that is clearly the majority share of what's been brought in. Um, so for the time being, that's going to be the primary means of fundraising thus far. So for 2024, maybe I'll pick up actual sponsors, can stop with the ads. Uh, we'll, we'll just see. What are my plans for this next year? Um, hopefully this excites a lot of you. I'm excited about it. This next year <clears throat> is set to be quite pivotal to my mind. Cultural tensions are going to be quite high due to another presidential election in America amidst a great culture war that's been going on for a long time. There's sure to be already heightened emotion and intensity among Americans in the UMC. There are also great tensions abroad in many areas that contain United Methodists who have not been allowed to disaffiliate from the UMC. For example, Nigeria contains the most United Methodists of any African conference. They border two nations that are embroiled in military actions um, <clears throat> uh, that are connected to American and Chinese intervention in their region. They are aware of American interference in their government policies around human sexuality, and they see themselves in a political sense as already being put upon by American progressives using financial and military power to co coerce them into changing. The United Methodist Church is scheduled to finally have its long-awaited general conference in April, April, at which progressives now in the American majority are aiming to not only change the sexual ethics of the denomination, but also to exclude non-American voices from interfering in continued theological changes they want to make in the future. They're calling this plan the regionalization plan, creating a sort of separate but equal ethos in the denomination. It remains to be seen if the assembled body at General Conference will have the stomach for such open bigotry and abuse of power, especially as it looks like around a third of African delegates won't even be able to attend because invita invitations weren't set early enough for them to go through the visa application process. Meanwhile, the Philippines is also reeling from some shakeups that uh, were caused by new progressive bishops 
who decided to fire a tenured college uh, uh, leader who was conservative. They had facilitated a hostile takeover of a college, and, and a lot of people know it. As the GMC is getting up and running there in the Philippines, many are much more aware of the role that the denomination has played in manipulating and disenfranchising them. The Filipinos know, like the Africans do, that they've been manipulated for a while. Even churches in Europe, thought by Americans to be uniformly progressive, are agitating to leave the denomination, tired of the aggressive social programming done over a prolonged period of time. Of course, I have links to these things. If you go to my Substack, you can see what I'm talking about. There is sure to be a lot of analysis and information spreading to be done around General Conference of this year, so I plan on, on doing a lot of that. Other 2024 plans. Later in the year, the convening conference of the Global Methodist Church will assemble in Costa Rica to formally adopt a, a book of doctrines and discipline. It's sure to be an exciting time as millions have awaited uh, the formation of this new body. Keith Boyette is set to retire, which means new leadership is to be set up. Annual conferences are going to continue to be established around the world as United Methodist conferences are either allowed to disaffiliate or choose to leave if constrained, and other denominational bodies also choose to join up. So the former United Methodist churches are not the only bodies and people interested in the GMC. There are going to be many workshops and conferences aimed at building up the Global Methodist Church and Methodist identity more broadly, including the Reconstructing Methodism Conference and the Mere Methodism Conference. Both of those are in April. April is going to be nuts. In January, that's this month now, I am to facilitate a series with four United Methodist leaders who will walk through the legislation that is to be presented at their upcoming general conference. The intention will be to inform United Methodists about the issues involved, the history and implications behind the words that they will be voting on, and the delegates that will be assembling to make such important decisions. So rather than allowing delegates to show up without hardly any knowledge and just vote the party line, my hope is that we will be able to equip all the delegates to vote righteously rather than politically, that they can do their homework beforehand and prayerfully consider how it represents grassroots United Methodists. So that's, that's a series that I hope to do over the course of a few months leading up to General Conference. Throughout 2024, it is also my intention to do a semi-regular segment on different annual conferences in the Global Methodist Church, chronicling the people and movements that are informing this new shared culture there will be a lot of compiling and spreading of information as well as filmed conversations with presidents pro tempore, influential thought leaders, professors, pastors, stuff I've been doing. On Substack, I am to publish a series of written segments accompanied by video on the 12 essential characteristics of Methodism as I see them. My hope is that from my little corner here in Oklahoma, I might do my part to help reclaim not just the form but the power of righteousness for the people called Methodist. During annual conferences and special events, it is my hope to facilitate live stream commentary for others who want to watch what's going on and understand it. It's possible that I could go to Costa Rica, but the birth of my fifth child is anticipated this July, and the demands of my household are such that uh, stepping away is really—it'd be very cruel to my wife. So at this point, I'm thinking it's more likely that I'll just continue to fortify my live streaming capabilities here and consult people on site from afar. I think it'll be fun uh, and informative, so stick with me. Just in case um, people think I'm trying to create a new career here, I'm, I'm not quitting my day job, ever. I love the folks here in Nowata and Delaware. I will fully intend to continue catechizing and equipping the children in faith here, facilitating Wesleyan class, and, uh, class meetings, 
leading weekly public worship. I also have a weekly pastoral Substack account with 220 subscribers that I hope to continue contributing to. I love being a pastor in a small town. I never want to stop. But I do have some hopes for the long term. So despite my passion for small town ministry, I also obviously have a passion for the Methodist heritage. I think Methodism is the closest thing the world has seen to Pentecost since the day of Pentecost. The power and movement of the Holy Spirit was once upon a time undeniable in the people called Methodist. Seeking such a faithful movement of the people is perhaps the worthiest work that can be done this side of heaven. And I think plain spoken can be a part of doing that. It involves tearing down and destroying bad things, building up and planting good and noble things. It involves speaking the truth plainly in love. These are things that I'm growing at with your help. God and his blessedness has provided a time in which a random small-town pastor can build a, blow, a growing platform on the internet, cobbling together influential voices from around the world to inform a grassroots audience on theology, history, ideology, and ethics. Long-term, if God blesses Methodism with new life and vitality, plain spoken could be a sustained effort at informing, equipping, connect, equipping connecting, and empowering Methodists across the world. It seems to me that all forms of media are needed in order to equip laity and clergy to faithfully engage the world around them. Sunday school curricula is not sufficient, nor are the various print media available going. They can't effectively engage large swaths of people in our churches. I believe that this format of plain spoken, the format I have adopted, is the most promising way to again form a cohesive body of believers that shares the doctrine, discipline, and spirit with which we first set out. So if I'm right, then there is a future in which plain spoken can be funded well enough to pay for additional employees, to collect and compile information, to generate quality content, and circulate more broadly on more platforms. It is clear plain spoken has a capacity for great growth. As it does, it is reasonable to think that the online space, which is thus far dominated by Reformed Roman Catholic and prosperity gospel Christians, it can be a place where Methodism takes a larger seat at the table, again, in facilitating conversations on a large level that the world actually cares to listen to. I'm imagining a future in which plain spoken is of benefit to Methodism broadly and in which the churches I serve are also equipped to minister more powerfully and ably than before they began this venture to serve their connections. So I'm hoping that this larger global national orientation of my churches can be met with some reward for them as well that buttresses ministry here. So I'd, I would ask you for your prayers that TJ and I continue to discern God's will and the needs of our Methodist brethren. I would also ask that you consider supporting Plain Spoken in other ways that you're able, but prom by promoting our material and by funding it. I've done a poor job promoting online uh, giving directly to the church, so I'm going to have a link to that in this portion on the, the, the Substack article. So here's some final thoughts. Even if tomorrow everything falls apart and the Plain Spoken project turns out to be a dud, I don't think it will, but if it does... I just want to say that the whole project has been so rewarding. The thousands of comments and emails that I've received over the last year have sharpened and informed me. They've also softened my heart and helped me to be more empathetic. Earnest conversation partners have written me from other religious traditions. I've gotten to connect deeply with many African Methodists. Even people who disagree with me vehemently have written respectfully to affirm what they can and push me where they think I'm lacking. 
This has been nothing but good. It's been wonderful. Most meaningful to me has been the salt of the earth, people writing me from all over America, concerned for their local churches. Hundreds of people have written to tell stories of pastors refusing to let them have disaffiliation conversations, superintendents mocking and insulting them, bishops and conference staff manipulating and entrapping them. Folks in the Global Methodist Church's Local churches have written in frustration that they can't find a pastor yet, that they don't seem to have a firm Methodist doctrinal foundation. Many folks want advice. Many just want someone who understands the big picture to read their story, care about them, pray for them. Others write me, and they're just so happy, and they want to share their joy at finally being able to be in a Methodist covenant community that isn't demanding such doctrinal compromise and dysfunction. Folks who have been impacted by me have mailed me Books, <laughs> they've, uh, they've sent me gifts. The most recent one is this John Wesley bobblehead. Uh, the interpersonal and intimate nature of these things has not been lost on me. It's been a very blessed affair con connecting me with folks around the world. One of the most consistent participants in my weekly live stream is a, a guy, Paul, from England. I regularly get text messages from leaders that I once considered pseudo-celebrities in Methodism. It's just amazing to me. They know who I am. They like the work that I'm doing. Uh, I get to talk to them on camera, talk about what I think is the most interesting and important stuff. It's, it's been a real blessing. So in short, I'm the most blessed person I know. I haven't even talked about stuff outside of plain spoken, but I'm, I'm supremely blessed. God has been very good to me. I've been overjoyed to serve in this capacity. I want to thank the hundreds and thousands of salt-of-the-earth Methodists who have been sharpening me as iron to be an instrument for the Lord. And I'm praying that I may be of use to Him and to you in the coming year. So thank you. I'll see you soon.